Welcome to the LDA Podcast, a series dedicated to improving the lives and education of all learners. This week, we talk to Dr. Beverly Johns, the President-Elect of LDA Illinois, about the rise of anxiety in the classroom and discuss strategies for teachers and parents to use to help anxiety-prone children. Hello, everyone. I'm here with Dr. Beverly Johns from McMurray College in Jacksonville, Illinois. Dr. Johns has been an active member of Learning Disability Association for many years, serving as the previous state president, the state president's rep, and currently as the president-elect of LDA Illinois. She's very active in the Healthy Children's Project. She has over 35 years of special education experience in the public schools in Illinois. She is now a professional fellow at McMurray College in Jacksonville, Illinois, and is a learning and behavior consultant. She is the author of over 20 books in the area of special education and working with children with challenging behaviors. Thank you for joining us, Bev Johns. I'm delighted to be here. Delighted to be here. Great. So we're seeing a rise in the mental health concerns in our pre-K through 12 students. Why do you think that is? Well, it is interesting because we do see that anxiety disorders is the fastest growing mental health concern uh, across the United States. Um, What is happening is, one, I think we live in such a rushed society and everybody wants to get things done and they want to get them done quickly. Uh, And therefore, as a result of that, we have an increased need for instant gratification. And then the other thing is that we can't ignore the fact that all of the social media uh, has resulted in some children feeling very isolated uh, because while they're tied to the computer, uh, they're not learning social skills and how to get along with other people and how to deal with their stress and dealing with their stress is something that we have to to teach them Uh, otherwise they're not going to know it themselves the other thing is that we have a lot more pressures on children now Uh, we live in a competitive world so uh, children are concerned about getting the best grades doing well on test doing well in sports Um, and it's, it's a competitive society, uh, rather than looking at growth in, in the individual child, which I wish, wish that we could do more of, is focus on what that child's needs are as, a, as opposed to the whole uh, competitive, are you better than the next person, mm-hmm. uh, kind of the one-upmanship, and that has put a lot of pressure on students. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like our students today are under a lot of stress. So how can we as adults alleviate some of that stress for them? Yes, and I think it's sometimes difficult for adults because we're role models for children, and yet at the same time the children are under stress, we're under stress. If you just look, for instance, at school personnel, and if they they feel pressured uh, to make sure that the children do well on tests, Uh, They need to get all of their paperwork done. Uh, They're facing working in the schools and and raising a family uh, and worrying about money, etc. So school folks are under a great deal of stress. Parents, particularly parents who have 
any child with special needs um, are worried because they're afraid that it's a reflection on them if their children are not doing well. And they're also trying to meet the demands of raising a family, going to work, getting everything done, wondering where the next paycheck is going to come from. So there's just a lot of pressure out there. Uh, and it's pressure to keep up with other people, and it's pressure about worrying about um, what other people think about them. So it's a competitive society with adults as well as children. Well, what happens is then children see the parent or the educator being stressed out, and oftentimes that person just can't uh, deal with all of the stress that is coming at them, and then that makes the children more stressed. So I said it's just like a, uh, a, the snowball effect. So people are pressured at one end, and then it just impacts everybody until it gets to the child, and the child is very concerned uh, about it because the key for parents and educators is they have to remember their role models and they have to learn to emotionally regulate themselves so that they model how to do that with children because children don't pick that up on their own. They have to be taught those skills and so therefore the adults in their lives have to be the ones who teach them uh, those skills through modeling and through co-regulating with them and through using a variety of strategies. So it sounds like the adults in the world that are stressed, oftentimes the children pick up on that stress and sure they, they, do. they take it on themselves. Exactly, they do, they do. And then I guess you say that the adults should model how to self-regulate. How do we explicitly teach that to children? Right, right. Well, the first thing that we have to do uh, is never assume that the children just automatically know how to do that. They have to be taught, and they have to be taught first by co-regulating with them. So for instance, um, when we see the child is stressed or we're, we're stressed, uh, we may need to teach them some deep breathing activities. Mm -hmm. We may be, uh, want to teach them things that, what are, that are what we call cognitive distractions. Mm -hmm. In other words, let's move to another activity or let's change the, the topic. Mm -hmm. um, and if you stop and think about it, adults spend a lot of money on going to yoga classes mm -hmm. or going to stretching classes or whatever mm -hmm. that helps them to regulate. And we need to teach children uh, those deep breathing and closing their eyes and thinking of something that makes them happy in their lives. So if I have a warrior in my class as a teacher, how do, I, how do I get them to stop the worrying? Um, is it cognitive distractors? Is it something else I need? Is there something I can say to them? That I would think that, first of all, we have to learn, um, the adults need to learn what the triggers are for the children. Mm -hmm. And then help the children identify those triggers so that they can do better. For instance, in a classroom, it might be certain words that trigger uh, a, you know, something worrying. Or the first thing we have to do is know our children. And 
all of the uh, all of the barriers and what I call the emotional baggage that they're coming into the classroom with because a lot of our children are coming in with a lot of baggage. Uh, certainly some of our children are coming to school having been abused. Well, uh, then we have to be careful about just the simple act of laying a hand on them to comfort them may not comfort them at all. It might be very difficult for them uh, to take. Um, and then we also have to remember that not only do our children have trouble emotionally regulating, but they have something that we call um, the lack of cognitive flexibility, meaning the ability from, to move from one activity to another. So that's why we want to do uh, one-step directions. So we're not giving them multiple things to do at one time because multiple things to do at one time, regardless of their age, are very difficult for them. Uh, and then we need to make sure that our directions are clear. And then we need to speak slowly because a lot of work is now being done with children who have anxiety, who have auditory processing deficits. Because if you're worried about a lot of things, uh, you're going to have problems, you know, attending to a task. So we have to remember that they're going to have trouble auditorily processing information. That's why we want to do one-step directions. In the classroom, one of the big concerns that I see with children um, is that we switch activities and we switch activities fast. And sometimes our children can't move from PE class to math because that's just too big of a jump. So we might need to build in an intermediate step. So for instance, rather than going right from PE to math, maybe we can go from PE to doing an active activity in math that involves some body movement. Uh, the other problem that I see are with worksheets. I just have some real issues. If you have problems, with cognitive flexibility, a lot of our worksheets today switch directions on one sheet of paper six times. Mm -hmm. Well, a child who has got problems switching gears can't do that. And so then we say they perseverate uh, when it's an issue of they can't move from one direction to another. Or the other thing we do in worksheet, worksheets is, let's just take mathematics as an example. Not only do we have six sets of directions on one sheet of paper, which is just, uh, which is what I call circuit overload for a child with anxiety. It's going to cause them a lot of anxiety. But think about it then, sometimes we have math problems that go from left to right. And then we go top to bottom. And then maybe we throw a word problem in there. Uh, those are very, very difficult for children. So I say to teachers, don't put more than one direction on a sheet of paper at a time. Because otherwise, you're really causing, just by the worksheet itself, you're causing that child to have more anxiety. And, and sometimes we just don't think about those things. The other thing is, I think, Parents and educators tend to say to children, hurry up. Hurry up and get all of that done. The problem with telling a child with anxiety to hurry up is they could, 
They would do it if they could do it, and they can't do it. And it isn't that they won't, it's that they can't do it. And so recognizing that when you say the words hurry up, you're causing more anxiety mm -hmm. for a child. Um, timers is another example. We say to children, you have five minutes to do this. That in itself is going to cause anxiety for uh, some children. Probably much better to say, do in math, do two more problems or in reading, answer one more question. Mm -hmm. Or if you're an art teacher, uh, finish painting with this one color. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's those little things that can really make a big difference uh, for a child and can avoid a lot of stress and anxiety uh, that they might be feeling. And then we know about children who have trouble with tests. Um, I was working with a student one day, uh, and this is an older student, and she was so anxious because she had put this so much pressure on herself. She had to do well on the test. She, you know, she had this goal. If she didn't do well on the test, she wasn't going to be able to meet her goal. She spelled her own name wrong. Yeah, I mean, uh, and those things break your heart. Mm -hmm. So you want to, you know, so I always say also with test, we could reduce some anxiety if we taught all children how to take tests, how to take tests, mm -hmm. test-taking strategies. Yeah. And there are lots of well-researched test-taking strategies uh, that are out there mm -hmm. for students as well. And test-taking is a skill. It's it is a skill. <laughs> it is a skill. That's right. So how do we know the difference between a child that's a warrior versus a child that has anxiety? Right, right. Well, I would say that we all worry. Yeah. And frankly, we all have anxiety. When I was presenting yesterday, I was, you know, before I presented, I had anxiety and I was, because, why? Because I was worrying that the equipment would work. I was worrying that I'd have enough materials for people. Those are all normal reactions. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that one of the things we can do with children and with ourselves is identify those things that make us worry. But once we get into this whole notion of anxiety disorders, then what we're talking about are the children who the anxiety is interfering with their life functioning. I mean, there are certain things that they're not able to do um, and developmentally inappropriate. I mean, like young children are going to worry. It's just part of development. Uh, and then when it's lasting for six months, uh, are more, then it's a concern of us. And what is problematic is that we have identified children who have somewhere on the spectrum anxiety, uh, and we may be able to identify that when they're young, but what's found is that there is an eight to 10 year delay in them getting treatment. Wow, this speaks to the mental health exactly. services That's in our country. Mental yeah. health. Mm -hmm. Or the other thing is, they may be getting treatment for something else and not for the anxiety. Yeah. Um, because a number of things might be related to anxiety, but they're presenting themselves as oppositional defiant disorder mm -hmm. when it's really anxiety, but they don't want anybody to know they're anxious, so they act up mm -hmm. to cover it up. 
So sometimes we see internalizing behavior, but sometimes we do see that externalizing behavior. We do, and I always say that our children are complex little beings, Mm -hmm. uh, and we have to recognize uh, that sometimes the behavior that they're exhibiting externally is not always what it seems to be. So you gave us a number of strategies in the classroom, um, but anxiety or worry goes across environments. What are some strategies for parents in the home environment? Um, I think that parents, again, uh, can teach their children how to emotionally regulate with you know, some relaxation strategies and, and deep breathing and actually actively listening to their children and not denying their children's feelings. Um, and I, yesterday in the audience, I gave some uh, questions that parents can ask their children as opposed to saying, how are you, or how did school go today, getting a little bit more specific, like what made you happy you know, when you were at school today, or is there anything you want to talk about so that they're less anxiety-provoking. But the big thing is actively listening and not denying what they're feeling. So if they're telling us that something is too hard for them, uh, we need to take note of that. And what we don't need to do is say, oh, that's easy, or you can do it. Uh, There's a little book that I like, uh, and it's called I Can't Do It Yet, which gives children hope. And I think that parents have to focus on their children's strengths and what their children do well. Um, They need to model the strategies. And then they need to remember the cognitive flexibility activities. So remembering that your child is not going to be able to go make their bed, go out and have get their clothes on, a lot of things at one time. You've got to break it down. One of the other things that I see is, you know, get your room cleaned. Well, take one little step. Uh, you know, put five of your toys away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so giving them parameters and not overwhelming them. Yeah. So those are some great strategies for parents and for teachers that you gave us earlier. What are some additional resources that if people want to learn more about this topic, where can they go? I know you've written a number of books. So. Right, right. And our latest book uh, was published by Rutledge. And it's all about some practical strategies. It's called Working with Students Who Have Anxiety. And one of the things that we did in that book is we not only talked about practical strategies for parents and educators in general, uh, but we also, because two of my colleagues are artists, and they have developed many art activities uh, that are de-stressors for children and also help children identify what their worries and fears really are through art. Um, because I'm a, I'm a firm believer in using the arts at home and in the classroom. And so letting children express themselves through the visual arts or through music. Uh, we know with adults, music is a wonderful de-stressor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so the book has a, a lot of activities um, that parents and educators can do uh, in terms of utilizing the arts to help um, de-stress their children. Great. It sounds like it has a lot of 
um, different learning interests of students built into the book, which exactly. is what we need in our in our classrooms and in our homes today. Exactly, so. that's right. That's right because you know the real challenge is we have like you know one fourth of our children in the classrooms have anxiety, which is a huge number. Which yeah. is a lot of children. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why I say teaching and parenting are rocket science. I mean because what we're trying to do is figure out the multiple needs that children have mm -hmm. and why children behave the way uh, they do. And they're complex beings. They are. And there's usually not one simple answer. Mm -hmm. So I thank you for your time, Dr. Johns. I appreciate this conversation and I hope, um, I hope to speak to you more in the future. Okay, thank you very much. Thank Delighted you. to talk about this topic. Thank you for listening to the LDA podcast. This series is made possible by the Learning Disabilities Foundation of America. Our theme music is Little Idea by Scott Holmes. In our next episode, we talk to Tracy Gregoire about the Healthy Children's Project. For more resources from LDA, visit ldaamerica.org.